Welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur, a podcast for business entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors who want to do more with technology, accelerate their business, and avoid the pitfalls of software development. Hello, and welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur podcast. My name is Phil Telfer. I'm CTO and co-founder of ClearSkyLogic, a tech agency based in Scotland. Uh, today, my guest is Craig Mackay, who's the co-founder of Shark Tower. So, Craig, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. That's a pleasure. I wonder if you could just give us a quick kind of elevator pitch as to what a Shark Tower is, what it does, what problem does it solve, and what's your involvement in that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the, t- the old techie way of uh, uh, saying what Shark Tower does was uh, AI-driven project management, you know, trying to build a autonomous project and guide people towards the required outcome. Actually, if you get rid of all that, stuff that people don't care about. Our job is to help businesses deliver better outcomes with less surprises. So ultimately, we're trying to help guide all types of business change from formal projects to change management to process procurement. We really make that uh, data-driven, but actually also make it really visual and focused on outcomes and those how those outcomes align to business objectives and, and benefits, etc., to really help break down some of the waste and failures that's in project management um, in the past and make it really you know, more collaborative and transparent. It's such an area which is it seems so difficult to get right, is I think delivering projects. It almost it's seen as being, well, that's the simple part, you know, the, the, the difficult bit is designing what you want and then you go away and build it. But actually, you know, we often see projects that get, you know, they, they're, they're, they're past that stage and they get into the delivery stage and then there are things which fall down and things which ultimately fail. And and this is something I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about, I think, recently, is that, you know, a post on LinkedIn we, I, I spoke about recently where it was saying, why do software projects fail? And and I was saying, well, you know, hand on heart, I've never been involved in a project that has actually failed outright. Of course, they can always be improved. So the process of things failing, why is it that, from your point of view or your experience, why do you think that software projects you know, sometimes outright fail? I think... It's, it's, it's usually alignment. I think, as you say, most projects don't fail. They'll, you know, and, and what happens in projects is we uh, end up very quickly, we all start off with a, an objective, whether that's a customer outcome, a user outcome, a strategic intent, um, and then we often go and do stuff. And we might do agile, we might do software development, might be iterative, but really what happens is everybody goes into their silos. So if you think about it, when you give over a bit of development to the software team, all they want to then do is deliver that sprint goal and those tickets. To them, what they're doing is delivering a solution. When you engage a consultancy, quite often they have to go behind the uh, statement of work in traditional big consultancy. Or when you even speak internally, the IT team and the change team and the marketing team are all protecting their domains and they're delivering their bit. It generally comes down to alignment. And then we always found out, I spent years and years in consultancy as well and doing program assurances. Everybody wants to do the right thing, but very quickly become misaligned because they're sitting behind their plan or their deliverable or their solution. We become milestone or solution focused or contractual focused, and we all forget what the actual outcome we're supposed to do. So, to me, it's always about alignment, and that's really important when things will fail. Like, we're the world's really, really complex, things need to change, and we obviously we talk about agility with the big A. But if you need to pivot or change direction or stop a project or re divert resources, if you're not all aligned, and have shared accountability from the start, it's really hard. And that's what change feels. It's when we have to say, you know what? The thing we're building now is not right. 
because actually the customer landscape's changed, so we need to change that. And hopefully through good iterative and agile development, we test and learn these things. But also sometimes projects need to stop because COVID's hit and the whole business landscape's changed and we changed or pivot in the business. But actually, if people don't know why we're doing it in the first place and they're working to milestones or solutions, then it's really hard to corral. So I always look at, and one of our jobs is it's about effective decision-making. That's Businesses are a decision machine. They're constantly making decisions, and so are projects, or change, or whatever you want to call it. So it's really about how do you make effective decisions. That's why projects seem to fail, because we don't make effective decisions fast enough that people are aligned around, um, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I think that's really good point around, um, especially where you have projects that uh, have a long duration. There's such a high possibility if a project is, you know, going to last months or even years that at the start it might have been a great idea, but at the end the world has changed. You say things like COVID happen, things the world changes, uh, the business changes, the economy changes, you know, you know, government regulations change. All kind of things can happen, and if you don't make decisions along the way you end up delivering something that might have been valid at the point of the initiation for the project but now it's it's irrelevant or it's it's lost its its value is that one of the you know one of the main issues you, because as you say that people aren't trying to derail projects they're trying to do a good job people involved in it but is that one of the main things it, that just... it is if you think of the complacency, i always try to, i really look at this sort of behavioral psychology of change and delivering stuff. And it's actually that it's what are the incentives? What are the behaviors that drive people, the motivations that you know, allow them to make effective decisions or the right decisions? So if you think about it, I'm a project manager set of project. I don't get I don't get measured on the benefits to the business. I get measured on following governance and hitting milestones. So that's all I want to do. And I don't want to rock that boat. Or if I'm you know a contractor or a professional services, I get measured on delivering that statement of work. Again, if I'm a vendor, you have to take my solution because that's all I've got. So I need to sell my solution even if you need it or not. Uh, I'll give you an example, make it really real. So I was, on a, I was doing a big program assurance piece of a lean transformation in a retail bank. And there's about 45 projects going on and they've been going on, as you say, for about two years of strategy. And I started to look at uh, where are the benefits? Who's going to you know, take on this project when it delivers? Do the business owners agree that this is going to give the benefits to the and there's some projects that are questionable. There was one project that was delivering a new front-end improvement to some private banking mortgages system. And it was perfect. The project was good. The solution was good. But nobody realized that they decided to stop selling private banking mortgages six months after this project should go live because it's no longer profitable. So when I obviously said that to the program director, hey, let's go stop this. Let's go speak to the sponsors. The response was, I don't get paid to stop projects. You know, we are on track. That's how we get bonuses. But also, I'd have to send over half the team who are contractors and they're our friends and we've worked with them. So if you think of that disruption, they're not incentivized to make the right decision. Also, it's really difficult for them to make the decision because their friends, their team would be impacted because it's a temporary organization project. So all those motivations are wrong. So I think that's the biggest thing for us is around shared accountability and alignment and doing the right thing with client side or professional service side, but doing the right thing for the outcome of the businesses is key. Um, you mentioned before about it's not just about delivering projects either, it's about implementing them. And I guess the thing that's, that springs to mind for me is, you know, when you you order a, a fridge freeze or some big lump of stuff you want to put in your, in your kitchen, you don't want it delivered to the front door. You want it installed, you want the door on the right side. 
you want it you know plugged in and working you want somewhere to kind of cool and, and, and freeze your food so have you got any kind of tips or experiences around implementation of, of software projects and platforms where you know perhaps they've been delivered you know the, the project has been successful in delivering but but actually the implementation has failed for some reason I think that's there's that's a lot of answers there because there's lots of reasons that happens. I think first of it is actually looking at thinking of it as like a supply chain as you just described there perfectly with getting a fridge delivered. So I often talk about changes. Change can start at procurement. Why do procurement processes stop and then not show dependency to then the implementation program or the service adoption? And then why does that service adoption or implementation stop and not show the connection to, as you say, the business adoption, the embedding, the, the, the benefits, the user adoption, whatever it is, they're all done in silos. So again, we all think that we've done our job and we walk away. So that's one of the, the, the difficulties is actually to see the throughput in the supply chain of it. starts at procurement. It goes into service adoption or bringing on a service provider or implementing a new solution that then goes into adoption. The other key is having business readiness or user readiness or user testing, obviously, all that stuff going on all the time. So that's really where we talk about aligning I would say things like change management and an iterative approach alongside software development and agile. But that doesn't mean, you know, throwing everything into gear and doing that. It means actually bringing processes from the business, whether that's marketing, comms, people change. They should be working iteratively at the same time with developing software to say, well, let's take that wireframe and test it with the team. And that's still building out how we might train around that, then bring out the next MVP and test it. And then, so that's also part of the software development feedback loop, which is great, but it should also be part of the process improvement or the process change uh, and the comms approach. Well, how would you communicate this? So you test that comms as you go so that you don't wait to the end and go, right, even though we've done the software really agile and we think it's you have to also bring that same approach to de-risking change management. So I think learning from that same agility, it's not the same thing, but taking that to an iterative approach to try and de-risk the change impact. So it's not a launch, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, there's often a misconception around clients or sometimes anyway where people think they can entirely outsource a project and their involvement needs to be very very little but the reality is that to guide that process um, and to make sure that it's you are on the right journey and you get to where you want to be there does, does need to be involvement from the client whoever is um, commissioning the, the software for, you know a software platform or feature i think another thing is that there's a sort of psychology almost Possibly a potential resentment among people who are using a, a platform as their daily in their daily lives, where something is sort of imposed upon them. And I think you know I've seen it, it work really well where you have a concept of business champions in certain op operational roles, and they can be involved quite heavily in commissioning the software and also in, as you say, in 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 UAT, and then they feel like a sense of involvement and that actually, they've actually helped to create this thing. So they already feel that they've adopted it and and they're, they're actually look, getting excited by it because they think, well, I've actually helped to design this thing. And when it comes, it's going to really, really help us. And we're going to be able to scale up and do all this new stuff. And it's a very, very different experience, I think, for teams. In Absolutely. That it's almost my career journey. I started off, I was very lucky. I started off in what was the first phase of startup banks uh, in, the, in the day before we, we had fintech. Um, but you know the direct line and egg and, and intelligent finance and stuff like that, and I was nineteen and I was just I didn't realize I was doing projects. We were iterating the front end system and building it and testing things with customers and we were involved in projects. I didn't realize we were just doing changing, testing, iterating. So by the time it came out, you absolutely you felt 
a huge amount of pride and ownership in that system and you committed fully to the process and the customer because you're part of it and it was also helping you do your job. Interestingly, as I moved up my career, I got more and more resources and I got further and further away from that. And then I would have you know, £75 million programs with thousands of processes and PMOs and you know 200 people on it. And it got really sticky. And, and actually, you didn't really see change get implemented or actually see the effect of change. So it's very hard to have that. So everything started to get thrown over the wall and everything starts stopping people moves between silos. So I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's a huge part of that adoption, user adoption, business readiness, whatever it is, that actually starts to count down as we get closer to handing over that software package. And as you say, as you're doing it iteratively, having those change champions involved. And the thing that's really important for professional services firms and for the likes of yourself is actually telling the client that we're going to need you as we deliver something for you, we're going to need you to do this because this is where we're going to do it. And actually building that into your plan and being transparent about it so the two go in parallel. I think that's a key part. This probably gets lost a bit because actually now that we've become a little bit more agile and actually we can use the gig economy and freelance and outsource. Again, now we think expect packages to get delivered into our business. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. And I've been really clear with, especially you know, professional services or, or software development houses, being very clear with the client that this is actually part of that success we need you to, to engage with us in this way and taking it to them is really key. Yeah, it's really counterintuitive, isn't it, where you have, you're given a bigger budget, you've got more people, and yet you get further away from delivery. It, it, it seems impossible to do that because you think, well, oh, we add one one other person into our team, we can, we can deliver more. And surely if we add another 10 people or 50 people, 100 people, it's going to be a doddle. Why, why do you get so much further away from delivery with that? There's resources. Well, then we start putting management layers in and control layers in and processes and middle management and other stuff. And, uh, and I think, don't get me wrong, um, certainly in project world, project control is absolutely required for mega complex projects. You know, where we're talking you know, billion, capital, uh, billion pound capital projects or life and death projects, oil rigs and stuff. That same rigor that came from Prince 2 and public sector previously, that same rigor is not required to do innovation and people change, but it gets done. So they, we create these processes and layers and we've got huge, you know, disparate teams and contracts to manage. You know, uh, yeah, our studies and even my, my, my career experiences, most organizations waste about 30 to 50% of the project or change management effort just to manual reporting and chasing data, trying to find out what's going on and to manage those governance processes. So everybody then becomes defensive because then you're getting asked to report on and justify your existence and justify where you're late. Again, we've lost that focus and delivery and I got quite you know, in my career I actually got really frustrated why that's actually why I came out of career and what reinvigorated me actually was I went back uh, back and did um, two years at Edinburgh Airport as head of IT strategy and development and that really invigorated how to get change done again so after years of going up corporates and working in, uh, in the FS sector you know I couldn't see change happening in Edinburgh Airport if the security hall wasn't working you saw a queue Going around the building as you came in, people would shout at you if you wore your Edinburgh Airport jacket. So you definitely worked with the engineering team. You worked with the vendor. We all fixed it. We don't blame each other. We just got it done. And change got implemented so fast. And actually, you saw the results of it really quickly. And the good and the bad um, of it. But you know, that really corralled people around it. And it's one of the things that really invigorated me to get back in and actually to, 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 to do Shark Tower was about, again, how can you get that ethos back? And I think that's what we lose as we start to scale. We lose that ethos as everybody's aligned around change. So... Yeah, that's my that's certainly my own experience anyway. Mm. Yeah, let's talk a bit about, more about Shark Tower. So, so obviously the, the platform is designed to help help solve some of the problems that we're talking about. What's the sort of a, the main approach? I mean, you, you talk about a lot about data, 
making data available. Uh, as you say, that a lot of time is wasted in providing data to people who are interested at certain levels. Is it all about data? Is that the main kind of thrust of what Shark Tower is all about? No, actually. And we started off as a data layer almost, actually. So we, it was really about visualised what was going on in all the different sources of information. Some of those of project plan, Excel log, everything else, and Jira, Trello, whatever. And how to then start applying predictive analytics and machine learning to that. And that's one part of it. But actually, you need to take a step back and actually make change less complex is the thing we, we found. And actually look at the What's really key is getting people to visualize what's required, the dependency path easily and identify my work flows into this work, that flows into that requirement. As you were talking about, you know, the business change effort in parallel to the software development effort and how it comes together and why we should be cognizant of that, but also where we fit in the bigger picture. So for us, it actually became a, a bottom-up and top-down alignment challenge. So how do we really visualize what's going on across the whole organization? How do we align that clearly to objectives and change the view of change? It's not about status reports and governance packs. It's about, this is my OKR. This is my objective I must do in business. So what scopes get delivered? Is it on track or not? Great, that's my view of the stakeholder. But as a doer in a project, why am I doing the thing? How is my work aligned to the bigger picture? So actually it became a visualization and a, and a, sort of a collaboration challenge first so that we could get the best view of change or delivery. Then you can start to do something interesting with data. And, and even then we found out it was about actually trying to make data explainable. So we could do lots of stuff with data and show you lots of stuff with analytics, but it had to be helpful. So actually some of that we had to take back and say, well, how can we help guide project managers? Say, well, look over there. So we can do things like team engagement and sentiment analysis, um, looking at all the text and conversations in Shark Tower and the way the work's written. But we don't want to tell people your team's unhappy or that person's causing a negative impact. Whatever. What we want to say is we think this bit of work here is causing ambiguity or confusion, go look at that work and go speak to the team. That's the most useful thing for you to do. So it's about guiding people to try and spot problems before they happen. So a lot of it became down to, you know, again, visualization, you know, getting everybody on the same page, having connection from the top of the business down to the bottom. But then it's also some of that behavioral psychology. How can I make this useful? How can I help you focus and not bombard you with lots of flashing lights and other stuff? So we, so you know, real behavioral design in how we use the data effectively as well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot in there, but actually some of the first steps and the real benefits we've seen with Shark Tower is just getting rid of the silos and get people on a page that actually makes sense visually to you know the CEO of the business as it does to the project lead, to the software developer. And, and the, the concept of sentiment that you mentioned in there, how, how is that derived and, and how effective do you think that is? So we've really definitely seen the power of it. We've got some really good use cases. So we used to derive it by asking people. So do the normal sort of pulse health checks. Do you yeah. believe in the change? Have you got the tools to do your job? Because that's kind of a bit like, sorry, the, the, like the RAG status that, that is a very common measure of, it's almost like how do you feel the project is going in some respects? It doesn't nece- it's not necessarily well-defined. So I was wondering whether that sort of sentiment part is, you know, helps to derive a, a, a sort of official version of well, how, is, how is my project? Is it on yeah. track? Is it in a good, healthy state, or do we need to resolve some issues? So, so we actually do that in two ways, to, as you say, to augment RAG status, which, and, and if you think about how people report RAG status, one, they don't see things before they happen. So they, they're not, like, humans don't spot the problems that are going to blow up in their faces, but two, when they do, they kind of hold it back until they've got an answer. So people generally, especially in big programs, etc., only report red RAG status when they actually know a way of getting out of it. 
<laughs> and that's why so many things flip from green to red, right? So quick, because you don't want to give bad news without having an answer. Um, so what we could, uh, sentiment we think is key because it's one of the early indicators. You know, most change goes off track when people become disengaged or don't understand it or get overloaded. So obviously by asking people that, again, it's after it's happened, usually. So by doing natural language processing and looking at the way that people are conversing, and that's what we also look for. We don't look for negative and positive words. We also look for ambiguity. We spent a lot of time creating a sort of project lexicon of things that uh, you don't look good. Yeah, 90% confident. Nah, okay, that's... You see that, maybe that might show that they're not so confident. So actually showing that early means before things blow up, before teams sink, especially remote teams uh, as well, you can go and have a conversation, hopefully keep things on track. The other part we do is we do a lot of under the hood stuff in terms of sensitivity, risk analysis, dependency, quality analysis, and even slippage. We used to try and show them separately. We've kind of actually amalgamated them into a sort of health score, which is basically the sort of quantitative version of a RAG status. And again, it's about, we think your health score is going down. It's trending down for you against the average of the company and everything else, but also your project um, over time. But this is where we think you should look. Because we know you can't plan the whole plan to 100%. So go look in this area and try and de-risk it. And it's one of the things we really try to do and, and get over is this idea that projects can be controlled. That you can actually plan a project, especially a, you know, so let's say a 12-month or a transformation. You can plan it 100% and actually that's it. And that's finite and let's control it and change control it. They can't. The world's a bit crazy. Change is complex. Our job is with Shatter is to try and uh, reduce the uncertainty all the time. And that's what we're trying to do with these types of things with the team sentiment and the health score modelling and stuff is actually how can we reduce uncertainty, give people where you should focus now to keep progressing to hopefully drive the best outcome you can. Um, as opposed to saying, hey, we can give you absolute certainty and control. So that's, that's a fallacy. Yeah. No, I really like that, re- reducing the risk and uncertainty because my view is that any project is entirely is unique. Okay, maybe not entirely unique. There are common threads that you know with previous projects but there's no example of that same group of people doing the same thing at the same point in time under the same conditions so there's always going to be things which are new and things that come along and surprise you yeah and if you look at the the complexity the network effect of projects it's really really complex as you say you can maybe do you might do the same let's say you're doing an oracle rollout you might do the same thing every time but actually think about it the supply chain economics weather the effect on the staff, uh, there could be flooding in an area that actually that means people can't get in, so all meetings are delayed, or actually the stress on the team. So all those things affect it, all they come in, or you in construction, you build the same house every time, but actually this, the cost of steel changes, you could be unknown things. So all these things that go around the project are really quite complex, very, very hard to, to model. And, and, and we, we try, and people are trying all the time, but uh, actually... Just measuring that and seeing where that uncertainty changes is probably the best thing we can do just now. And again, as you see, it's never the people's intention to, to go wrong. And it's actually the best design projects will go wrong because of so many economical, environmental impacts it can have. So we need to try and have a better way of measuring what's going on all the time with projects to find where that uncertainty is going. Um, because every situation, every day is unique, especially in this current world. Yeah, uh, and I think there's, there is a great deal of fear among companies who are looking at digitizing their offerings around going through that process because of these very things these uncertainties and these unknowns and and also you know you've got high profile failures that that make it into the news and so it looks even more scary 
So I think you know having that approach where you're so you're, you're de-risking, you're making data, you're sort of surfacing useful data and um, looking into the sentiment of people working on the projects and aligning their their vision. You know, it's just a, a really great approach. I guess um, so. Plans for the future for Shark Tower. What what would the next twelve months look like in your view? Yeah, it's we. Yeah, we actually as a as a product, we're over six years old. We're lucky we had loads of R and D development stuff and loads of testing, and we 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 actually spin out from our previous day. It's day consultancy where it was a differentiator to work with our clients to be more transparent. Uh, so for us, it's still about growing that market. You only really we we only launched to mark as a standalone business, the B two B SaaS offering, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Which was a uh, nice, and over the last twelve months, we're, we're very privileged and lucky to have about forty different brands in twenty-seven different countries at the moment. Um, and so, just really again, continue to work with those clients, just continue to understand really how we can help them for change. And a lot of that comes with data, but also the change psychology that we've been talking about. Um, so that'll be us for the next bit. Then it's going to look at for us is how do we expand internationally. Uh, our focus is really been on the UK, but also we're going to start looking at where we can do more partnerships as well for us. It's not all about the solution. It's never going to be about the software and the data. It's also going to be about that change capability and management psychology. So actually for us, again, how can we help our clients by bringing more of that to them? So next year is going to be about partnerships, expansion internationally as well, but also just learning from our clients all the time as we identify where we can go with Shaktor. Great. Just keep on learning. I guess that's the name of the game. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Craig, for joining us today. Um, just some real great nuggets in there. Really look forward to the, the future of Shark Tower and uh, I'd like to have a, a good demo of it soon as well myself, actually, because I'm sure it could help with a lot of our projects. Anyway, Absolutely. thanks thank for joining us. You've been listening to The Tech Entrepreneur, brought to you by ClearSky, the digital transformation agency for scale-ups and established business who believe you don't need to be held back by technology. Whether you need software to help your customers self-serve, a mobile app to manage customer engagement, or automation to make sure your staff are spending time on what matters most, ClearSky provides dedicated software development teams in the UK ready to take on your next project. Find out more at clearskylogic.com.